You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Kelvin Yee. Now, before we get on with the show, I'd just like to mention that if you want to win a Stranger Things Lego set, head to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter now and find us at Skip Intro MY for more details. Now, in the studios with me is Ian McNally, Julian Yap, and Ayman Rashad. Today, we're talking about Tarantino's new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. And that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Actors do a lot of dangerous stuff. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? <laughs> you know who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. She's the hottest thing in town right now, probably the world. Man? Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. Oh, the shooting. What did Charlie say? He said, kill everybody. What's the plan? Let's get him. There's an element of true combat. If you don't beat him, he kills you. Not when Rick Dalton's got a shotgun. So, what is this movie about? Well, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is 1969 to be exact. And it's a complicated movie to explain because there's a lot happening while not a lot happens. It kind of focuses on former TV cowboy Rick Dalton, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who's starting to hit a bit of a rough patch in his career, demoted to playing bad guys on other stars' TV shows. He's still got his old friend, stunt double and general handyman Cliff Booth to hang out with, who's played by Brad Pitt and keeps him company most of the time. Mm. Over two days in February and a third in August, that is infamous in history, which we'll get to later, Quentin Tarantino kind of weaves... In and around this, I wouldn't say he weaves a story in and around these things. He just kind of weaves in and around these people, as well as up-and-coming actress Sharon Tate, who was married to Roman Polanski at the time, and if you don't know, was brutally murdered at the hands of the Manson family in August 8, 1969. So, leading into the production of this movie, that was a big question over this film. What were they going to do with Sharon Tate, and why were they doing anything with Sharon Tate? Because it's a horrible real-life story. And looking into research afterwards... You kind of forget how much of a... It's a turning point for America, but it's not really a turning point for anyone else. It's a turning point for Quentin Tarantino in the (laughs) way that Hollywood kind of transitioned away from spaghetti westerns and its obsession with westerns and cowboys. And that's all that Hollywood was doing at the time. I Mm. think there's a little... There's a funny little bit where... It's Quentin Tarantino, so everything is a little bit black comedy. It's a bit dark comedy, right? Little. It's a it's a lot. <laughs> so um, there's a little bit when um, Leo DiCaprio's character, he goes from cowboy to cowboy to cowboy. He starts listing off all the movies that he's done in the last six months, and he's starred in four different cowboy movies. And that's exactly what Quentin Tarantino is doing. He's saying that this is the time when my favorite genre of all time, Spaghetti Westerns, died, and we've moved into this world of Hollywood that I know now that I hate. Really? (laughs) Because you can't celebrate something like what what his idea of Golden Age of Hollywood is without saying like, well, yeah, I'm lamenting it because it's gone. Yeah. Because what we have now is nothing like it was before. That's why I'm trying to bring it back. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot of themes in this and like it is something that you could pour over a lot 
because the Sharon Tate stuff is also ties into the rise of hippies at the time and kind of checking out of mainstream culture. So like everybody who's involved in Hollywood is like these damn hippies, you know. So, but that's also a whole movement coming along, and you've got America changing from the sixties to the more slightly the free love sixties into the darker seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's also from I didn't get what you got from it, but I got that that changing of the cinema because. He's a fan of all of it, I kind of figure. It's just that he's chosen in this one to kind of just... You just follow Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> around for days. And but they also, don't do anything of note, really. But also not enough. You don't follow them enough. There's almost like not enough time dedicated to the two of them together. Like, Brad you Pitt know, doesn't do nothing. Just he just buddies. kind of smiles at him, right? Yeah. And it's that, those were the highlights of the film for me where you just kind of get to see these two incredible actors, probably two of the seriously great actors of our time, I guess. And it's, it's so great that Quentin Tarantino has just thrown them in the movie together but then done nothing with them. I mean, like, together, they didn't do much but like separately yeah, we separately. did follow a lot of, of their stories yeah. and another theme that is in the film is about um, uh, Leo's anxiety about becoming like this uh, sort of a has-been yeah. in uh, in TV and movies and it's funny uh, he had a conversation earlier uh, with uh, what's his face um Al Pacino? Yes. <laughs> forgot Al Pacino. So he had a conversation with Al Pacino, basically telling about how Hollywood uh, pushes aside uh, older actors through uh, introducing new characters and how they uh, battle in, in mm. the movie. And and that sort of sets up this uh, this journey for Leo in the movie, which I really, what is one of the things that I liked in this movie is mm. following uh, uh, Leo or Rick's uh, journey in the movie and his mm-hmm. character. There's a plot line where he basically gives a great performance in a terrible role. And Quentin Tarantino just uses this as an excuse. Like he shoots the shooting of the show like a movie. So you don't see any cameras. You don't see any extras or not extras, crew or anything like that. It's literally like he's shooting the movie directly. Mm. Except when Leo says, line. Or, you know, they have to go, they have to do a retake or something like that. And then, you know, the the artifice falls away. It's an incredibly weird thing to do. And it's an incredibly weird thing to do in this movie where nothing else kind of has that. Yeah. Mm. It feels like a whole load of little kind of, not jokes, but gags, film gags that he wanted to do. There's a stereotypical Quentin Tarantino thing is someone driving in a car while cool old music plays on the radio that you haven't heard in a while. There's a couple of points in this where you get the idea that like Leonardo DiCaprio bought property in Hollywood because you got you got to live in Hollywood, kid. You can't just you know if you if you rent there or you you commute, you're never going to make it. And there's a point where Brad Pitt drives to his home, and I get it's a far away. You want to you know reinforce the point that there's a gulf between the wealth of these men. Mm. But it's like five songs, four or five songs, yeah. where they drive through a beautifully realized 1969 Hollywood. Like they did insane stuff yeah. in this movie for like they they dressed all of one half of Hollywood Boulevard, yeah. shot against it, and then flipped it later because they couldn't close the whole street. Mm-hmm. They recreated the whole time. But it's like that's it. It doesn't really that theme isn't really developed upon. Brad Pitt just smiles and wanders around a bit. I mean, that's basically the whole yeah. film, isn't it? <laughs> that's one of the, my main criticism of the movie. They set up a lot of things, but there's not really much payoff for a lot of it. Mm. And at the end of it, you, you ask yourself, like, why did I watch it? <laughs> because <laughs> cause you, you, you're already interested. Okay, so they set up all these um, uh, sort of struggles of the uh, characters and then you ask, maybe you're getting into it, you're invested in the characters, but then in the end you're like, oh, 
okay. <laughs> it's, uh, and uh, a bit underwhelming for me. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same. I, I love a hangout movie. A hangout movie is great. Nothing has to happen. No, there is never a need for a plot. Mm. This one desperately is a need for a plot. <laughs> it's, I think... The most aimless of all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Mm. I'm pretty sure that was probably the, the point, point, and I hate mm. that that was the point, but it was. But um, in spite of that, there are so many things to enjoy in this. I think there's, it's the annoying thing where it's an it's annoyingly beautiful, and there's so much to look at. Mm. There, this it's obviously Hollywood, so it's just two hours of sunset, basically. Brad Pitt shirtless on a roof changing a TV aerial is great movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then and Sharon Tate, Margot Robbie dancing to music from the time is just beautiful to look at because she is a bit unreal. She's a bit ethereal as yeah. a human being, mm. and you know the. Costume set design is all beautiful. The amount of time and detail and a, care and care, yeah, and love to this era of Hollywood is so apparently like, just the amount of effort that's been put into small little details like radio background music or like TV backing things. Like you don't get that in every movie, and obviously this is something that only Quentin Tarantino can do because yeah. no one has this kind of, I guess power in the industry like he does and on his ninth film but yeah I felt like I'd walked away with nothing I was incredibly antsy throughout because nothing was going on it was quite uncomfortable to watch because and this is my biggest gripe with it I was not happy watching this it's an incredibly (laughs) cruel lens to look at a lot of things and I don't want to give anything away but there's a way that Quentin Tarantino films and puts forward a lot of Things. The Manson family, how he looks at women, how he looks at people of color, how he looks at the industry, people who aren't, you know, part of that Hollywood circle. It's kind of gross that you don't really want to watch. It's a lot of malice in a lot of films. I don't, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. But it's a feast for the eyes, definitely. <laughs> and the music's great. Yeah, that, the music's that, great. They kind of lost me the attention to detail when they cast Damien Lewis as the, Steve McQueen. In the worst wig I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it's like, who saw these two guys? Yeah. It's like, what's going on yeah. here? I'm it's self-indulgent to a point because you see in the credits there's one point where it has the gang and it's basically everyone he's worked with before. Yeah. Uh, Michael Madsen turns up. It says, Tim Roth, brackets, cut. <laughs> he's not even in the movie, but they put him in the credits anyway because yeah. we're buddies and pals. <laughs> yeah. If you have any thoughts, you can send it to us on WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. And on social media, we're at SkipIntroMY. After this, we're going to continue this conversation about Tarantino's ninth film. This is the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Brainy, fancy material. BFM 89.9. Hello, it's Skip Intro with Kelvin Yee, Julian Yap, Ian McNally, and Ayman Rashad. We've been talking about Tarantino's new, well, comedy, drama, crime film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think you have to class it as a Quentin Tarantino movie. It doesn't fit any of those. <laughs> no, no other way to describe it. <laughs> so this is, I guess, in Hollywood, if I'm not mistaken, one of the two original films in the sense that they are not uh, remakes, they are not sequels. And besides us, this movie has also been doing quite well there. Mm. Um you know, why? <laughs> why? Why do you think that is? Well, it's Tarantino, isn't it? He has his own uh, fan base. People will come to watch his movies, whether yeah. uh, whatever criticism or, or praise he gets. He has a legion of, of fans who, who would watch 
his collection of movies and considering this is like his uh, penultimate uh, movie oh, uh, supposedly <laughs> the swan song of the swan song the swan song of the swan song wait so. does that mean that the 10th movie will be the Star Trek movie he's supposed to be doing oh yeah oh. I forgot about that one okay. maybe hmm. but isn't it horror Did it? he I wants to do a horror if he can come up with a good horror story yeah and if he can get some way to allow cursing in Star Trek yeah I'm rolling my eyes so hard <laughs> lots, of, lots of feet in the, middle, in oh, the horror geez. movie <laughs> I wanted oh the feet thing before we get to the feet thing I want to come back to something you were saying about being antsy in the movie yeah. watching it I was getting very antsy at the beginning because I was like, it's a two hour, 40 minute film. I know it's got plenty of time. I was like, when is it going to settle down? But the concept you brought up as well of the Hangout movie, I'd forgotten about this. It was only when I was just like checking online about the film, like this idea of just like, I think Jackie Brown is a good example of just hanging with these characters. Hmm. Pulp Fiction to an extent, I guess, but there is more, there's like a series of small stories happening there. There was a point where I did get into the hang. Yes, okay. And I was quite, okay, I can go along with this. Like, I'm binge-watching a TV show and I have nothing to do for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And then you get this Kurt Russell narration because, of course, he's in it multiple times. Oh, it was Kurt Russell. Yeah. Okay. He's in it, but then he starts narrating it when there's no narration for other parts of it. And then he's not only narrating, he's narrating every minute time a minute goes yeah. by and at that point I think I started getting antsy again because mm. like oh it, it was quite jarring because it's, it's a change of style as well like all of a sudden it's a, it's yeah. a uh, narration driven movie and I'm like oh it felt like it bit, it had been edited by like three people because mm. that it, they're a classic Quentin Tarantino things you know the we can talk about the feet now right (laughs) well so Inglourious Bastards is so chock full of this unique Quentin Tarantino style of editing and filmmaking and storytelling Mm. like you know the quick cuts and they do this sporadically throughout the film but after about an hour and a half and you're just whoa whoa we were doing this I forgot we were doing this and it just throws you all the way out but throws you all the way back in and it's kind of not a great storytelling device if you're not going to use it well Mm. I think I think it could have been done better. I think he should have stopped when, he, when, <laughs> when someone told him to stop, but he didn't. The Sharon Tate stuff, did you, how did you feel as her as a character? Because she doesn't get like an awful lot of lines or things to do. She's almost like a ghost at the center of the movie before yeah. anything happens to her. There's a moment where it was boggling my mind where she's at the cinema watching The Wrecking Crew, where she, a movie she starred in with Dean Martin, and she's watching the real, Margot Robbie is watching the real Sharon Tate. But then there's another moment which is like, it feels like from a completely different movie where they have Leonardo DiCaprio in The Great Escape. They actually splice him in. Which was, was fantastic. To, which was supposed to get, he was apparently in the, the running for the Steve McQueen role. So they just have that. And it is fantastic. It's like, <laughs> yeah. but why is, why is he in that one? I guess that's a fantasy thing. Mm-hmm. And then others, it's really odd that they do this I did like that she was watching Sharon Tate you know it almost says you know Sharon Tate is inimitable you can't redo her performance and I like that a lot and I think um, Margot Robbie did a great job in the I'm watching myself on screen I'm kind of basking in this like new Hollywood glow that um, she's obviously got this big career ahead of her and I think that was really sweet but I did feel that it was a little bit wasted Mm. because Margot Robbie is an incredible actress Mm. and um a lot of the film she kind of just walks around wearing beautiful dresses and she, having beautiful boots. hair she, yeah, she, she was boots. just very underused in the movie and um, a, a waste of her talent really because at the end of it um, her character just seems really dumb or like just parties around mm. um, like dances around and th- and that's basically all she does and I, I was really um, disappointed in how they used Margot Robbie in this movie. Yeah. 
I get that it's supposed to be this innocent, this young, this new outlook on Hollywood when you have this contrast of Leo DiCaprio, who's very jaded, and he's kind of basically at the end of the career, but Sharon Tate is at the start. And I get that. But also, you can't just have Margot Robbie driving a car, not saying anything, yeah. or playing some music and just dancing. just when because everybody Quen- else is talking yeah. all the time. Yeah, just because Quentin Tarantino wants to see her dance and <laughs> wants to see her drive a car. We should get to one of the elephants in the room, which is that uh, Bruce Lee's daughter. There's a f- it's, Again, it's a weird thing. It's not even part of the story. It's a flashback. I suppose it's kind of part of the story. It's a reason why someone doesn't like Brad Pitt. And yeah. it's because he got in a fight with uh, Bruce Lee. And there's been his Bruce Lee's daughter was not very happy about his portrayal. He kind of comes off as a blowhard. His and wife as well. His wife, yeah, because mm-hmm. he kind of said he's talking about is it Joe Fraser and Cassius Clay, not Muhammad Ali yet. Yeah, and he's saying like, oh, I could take him, kind of thing. Did you guys find that? Bad? I only really, like, I mean, I know Bruce Lee from the movies and of his life. I only really know the Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and mm-hmm. this kind of portrayal seemed to fit. With that portrayal yeah. of him, mm-hmm. I did. I mean, obviously, the family know better, like, yeah. definitely. <laughs> but yeah. did you find it like bad in the way that a lot of people have complained about? Well, I mean, was it a flashback or an imagination? I think it was a flashback because no, yeah. Randy doesn't like Brad because of that. Hmm. Well, uh, when I was watching, I thought it was an imagination. So in my mind, it was like uh, um, Brad Pitt or, or Cliff sort of exaggerating oh. whatever uh, Bruce more, Lee does, and that's that why he is the way um, uh, Bruce Lee is the way he is in 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 that scene. Um, some of the exchanges I found were funny. Yeah, and the the fighting and the whole um, collateral damage that happened <laughs> following that scene were I found funny but uh, obviously um, uh, his family um, didn't like it didn't doesn't agree with it so for me this was one of the scenes that when I saw in the trailer I was so worried because it it had been such a good trailer up till then I just mm. thought oh no Quentin Tarantino does this thing where he attacks or he criticizes people of color to kind of big up his white characters. And Mm. this is no exception. So going into it, I was tentative. And I was right to be tentative, I think, because I think they play up the fact that Bruce Lee is quite famously cocky and kind of not great to work with. I mean, based on Hollywood stories, but also he made him a very caricature kind of violent Mm. Chinese gangster sort of character. And I don't know, I can't, obviously I can't say, but you... Making that choice to write a famous actor who is revered and loved as basically the stereotype that he was trying to break in the first place in his career is very insulting, I think. Mm. I, there are a lot of bits in that scene that are obviously there for comedy purposes, and yeah. I did not find them very funny. It kind of it left a really bad taste in my mouth, and that bad taste carries forward in a lot of things it's exactly the kind of uncomfortable feeling that you kind of get every time you watch a Quentin Tarantino movie (laughs) where you know that this is a little bit not okay Mm. and Quentin Tarantino just puts it in there it's the same thing with there's this um, little subplot which they don't follow through on on Cliff Booth Um, that's Brad Pitt's character and him having done something with his wife and that Mm -hmm. so quickly just flashed to and then you just it's never mentioned again and it's the exact same thing where you don't have to film something 
in this way. You don't have to portray it in this way. The Brad Pitt's face and the clothes he's wearing can kind of convey all you need to know about this modern cowboy. Yes. You don't need to have this kind of weird background. Although you can have other people talk around the fact that that's why he's not getting jobs anymore. Mm. But it also raises questions about whether he did actually do what he was yeah. allegedly uh, did in that movie. And you'll never know. I mean, never again, know, it's for film students to puzzle <laughs> over. I think that's probably another thing that goes into it. it. You said before, it's like he's one of the few movies, one of the few original movies that can get away with this kind of thing. And it is an awful lot of like, hmm, let's analyze this, shall we? Yeah, I tried to analyze it. And a lot of it is just like, <laughs> un, uh, <laughs> a character acts with no conclusions, like no no PRs for a lot of them. Like, oh, yeah. a bit I'm just fascinated by the dog food. It's like bird flavor, raccoon flavor, yeah. and rat flavor. Yeah. Brad Pitt's always feeding his dog, his very well trained dog. But yeah. it's like this, it still has the, what was it, red apple cigarettes? It's in the same. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino cinematic universe. It's got the Mad Men love of the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great scene. If anyone likes the Inglourious Bastards strudel scene, which I love, uh, there's a great food scene in this one with mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We can't talk about the ending because it is in line with other movies, but we can't really say why because it's a huge spoiler and it kind of doesn't, it's unexpected in kind of ways and Mm -hmm. other ways. And I don't know what I'm going to say about it. It's just like... (laughs) If you want to go see it, I found the ending, it's an upbeat ending that also left me melancholic. Mm-hmm. So when you do watch it, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood drops tomorrow, 15th of August. Let us know what you think. Drop us a note at movies at bfm.my. You can also find us on social media. We're at skipintromy and follow us there because we do have a Stranger Things Lego set to give away. It's a huge one. You can find more details again at skipintromy. This is the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. 